And so there's a way that the feminine can orient us to where we are in space and time. Like out of all these possibilities of where we could be in the cosmos and where we could be in the expression of time, like here we are right now. And so it's very contextual. If you don't feel held by something, you got to have something else to grasp onto. Mm, And, um, you know, so our culture is kind of obsessed with acquiring content to replace the fact that we're not connected to something deeper and more real. Mm, The big hormone enneagram. John Lukovich, uh, sexual self pres 45 wing, 458 trifecta. Hi, I'm David Gray, self pres sexual 9 with 1974 trifix. What up, it's Emika, I'm an 8 wing 7, sexual self pres with 854 fixes. Hi, I'm Nancy, I am a self pres social 3 wing 4 with a If you like our podcast, guys, make sure you go like and subscribe on the Apple Podcast app. And if you really like us, you should definitely leave us a review. Welcome back to Low Vibrational Living with Big Hormone Enneagram. Uh, We are back with my friend Julie to explore the archetypal feminine through the lens of the Enneagram and the centers. Um, Before we do that, uh, we got our usual plugs because uh, this is a free podcast. And so... uh, (laughs) You know, we need money somehow. So uh, please buy my book. And if you've bought my book, please, uh, what is it, rate or write a review of my book on whatever site you bought it from, please. Um, I'm also doing a study group on Sundays, uh, 4 p.m. Eastern via Zoom, $15 donation per class or recorded video. It's been going really well and very interesting. And we just go into detail through my book, exploring a lot of topics that um, I just couldn't fit in the book and it's been a much more like a, it's been a great, not only from the point of view of, um, able to talk about interesting stuff, but, uh, it's, it's like a, a good social instinct group that I didn't know would, would happen. <laughs> social. I didn't know social would happen. I didn't know social would happen and it's been happening and it's been happening really well. So people are like, let's do breakout rooms and stuff like this. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Yeah, right. And, and, and people's self-observations and, and, and things like that are, are really good material. And it's been just a very good, um, I think working together is giving people a, a really good orientation for working with the Enneagram, not just knowing it cognitively. So that's been good. Uh, what else we got? Uh, DAA, Dark Arts Academy. Um, recently, we had uh, done some classes on sevens, dark sevens. I know. Dark sevens. Uh, yeah, because... There's so many sevens we've typed recently that for some reason there's been a, a re, uh, influx of sevens and most sevens don't relate to the you know the positive connotations around seven and so we want to do a class uh, exploring the frustration of sevens and how sevens can really be negative and mm-hmm. so that's cool uh, we also did a class on rejection fixes we've done a lot on rejection on here but we wanted to explore I think some people had some questions like you know. Uh, what about the rejection fixes? What are some implications for that? So we did some classes, or we did a class where we looked at three people. Let's see, who did we look at? We looked at, uh, what's the guy that did um, Parts Unknown? What's his name, David? Anthony Bourdain. Uh, Anthony Bourdain for 8Fix. Um, the chick who studies monkeys, what's her name? Uh, Jane Goodall. Jane Goodall. <laughs> <laughs> 
horrible with names. I, I the images are so clear, but I can't. Uh, I'm usually not this on point. But. <laughs> Jane Goodall and we did uh, FKA Twigs. She has an eight wing as well. So we explored uh, the different ways. Picks. Yeah, we, oh eight wing. You're right. Eight wing. Yeah, we explored different ways. Uh, you know, rejection can show up in terms of typing. Um, and also, I think what do we have coming up next? Oh, no idea. we're doing we're doing the stackings. We're doing social self pres and self pres social nice uh, a typing special. So yeah, look, mm. join DAA because we're learning how to see and see with the eyes and the instruments of the enneagram, becoming more fluent with these concepts. It's not enough just to know these things, but you have to actually experience them to be able to use them. So that's what we're learning to do at DAA. And David Trifix book, and then if you want to get typed, come to us. If you want to. Um do coaching come to us uh that's it i think right yeah mm-hmm. all right cool so back with julie harris uh my friend we did new york enneagram together julie is a coach and a breath worker uh, her website is riverbendcoaching.com anything else you want to say about uh yourself and how people can reach you julie sure yeah um so sign up for my mailing list if you want to hear about what i've got upcoming um, I've just started doing some group breathwork sessions and the first one sold out in 12 hours. So if you want to get in, uh, make sure you're on the mailing list so you could hear about it. And, um, is that online or in person? That kind of stuff? That is online. It's virtual. Yeah. Mm. So, um, people from all over the world can participate. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm working on putting together some other offerings around, um, Helping people who work with people uh, one-on-one with the Enneagram and um, how you can um, be more creative and experiential in working with your clients. Um, And I'm also going to be doing something in the new year uh, that I'm uh, tentatively titled The Sacred in the Ordinary. And it's going to be building off a lot of the things we've been talking about here um, on the moon cycle about like um, immersing yourself in like this uh, cycle of emptiness, fullness, emptiness, fullness, and just kind of seeing how it is to to not grasp for something, but be held in something. So um, lots of good new things coming up. So sign up for my mailing list. Cool. All right, let's, let's do it. Okay. Um, I thought we could do another short practice to kind of bring us into the space of what we're talking about. The feminine. This is another practice from Maya Luna. And um, just start by noticing, like, don't change anything, but just notice, like, where is your uh, torso, your, your chest, your head relative to your pelvis? Like, are you leaning forward? Are you leaning backward? Are you exactly over, over your pelvis? And um, for most of us, our, our culture encourages us to lean forward. To kind of like lean out of ourselves and into the moment, into the next moment, um, kind of come up and out of ourselves. And I think this work with the feminine helps us to root back and down and be supported and held by something. So wherever you are with your torso, like consciously move so that you're in alignment right over your, your center and really notice um, the back of your pelvis and the back of your heart and the back of your skull so that you're sensing into a kind of holding that you might discover here. When we're always kind of pulling up and forward, we don't feel held at all. It's kind of like got to keep the momentum going. So letting yourself come into the back body. 
And then imagining that you could, from this place, kind of like drop, drop a line down, drop an anchor down through your pelvis and into the earth. So that you're coming into the depth of this moment. And Maya calls this practice co-regulating with the earth. There's a way that we can just really allow ourselves to release into the depth of this very moment, body moment. Somebody else who, times I hear her um, centering, she talks about being generous and giving your weight to the earth, like not withholding yourself, be generous, give yourself down. And let yourself be received. So again, it's just another very simple way that we can step into this quality of holding and receptivity. That's the feminine. And then when you're ready, and open your eyes. You guys, have any thoughts about that experience that you want to share? Nancy, you're muted. I think you're talking, but you're muted. I was telling my dogs to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> that part of the family. <laughs> uh, they're bothering me. Uh, buddy. I, well, I don't know what I, what I think is interesting. Um, you know, like I end up working with a lot of people of like, I think I said last time, like all different ages and sexualities and whatever, but um, on their sexual instinct and sexuality and like, no matter like type and stacking or whatever, it's like, generally speaking, people are really not in touch with their pelvis at all. And I uh, I often describe how like the pelvis and the genitals are like such a good um uh they they give they they're sense organs in the sense of like giving us information about people and circumstances and stuff like that like and it's not necessarily like sexual explicitly like I want to have sex or not it's just like it's like your genitals will respond to people in an intelligent body-based way and a lot of times we're just not listening to all that input and it's all coming from up here and i also think it's coming from i like the way you described uh how we're kind of leaning forward into the next moment where there is a certain way that there's like an overly over outcome focused um there's this sort of it's not just driven but it's there's a there's a manipulation in the sense of striving for a particular outcome and um lacking that orientation of like what's what's actually here what's actually like arising and what in me can meet what's arising that's not just my mental brain um so yeah yeah right so even just that very like simple of like making sure that your body is lined up you know, certainly as a head type, I know my brain wants to lead a lot. And there's just a lot of value on a certain kind of cognition in our society. 
And so like kind of allowing ourselves to come back and to relax down can change that. Um, and I think uh, actually then that's a perfect jumping off place to talk about um, the head center through the lens of the feminine. And um, we started talking about it a little bit last time, the idea that I think the feminine brings us into multiple perspectives about reality, that the truth is complex and faceted, right? The truth of this life is complex and faceted. It's not simple. Um, and we talked about the moon cycle and seeing those different facets of the moon cycle and knowing that they're all an expression of the moon, but something different is happening in every moment of reality. And um, Sashat is the Egyptian goddess who really personifies this for me. She's kind of a, a six-ish kind of character. Um, and she's depicted with, she has this plume coming off the top of her head that has seven flowers. And uh, it feels to me like the way that she is in contact with the cosmos, with the larger cosmos. And then there is, she's usually depicted in front of this line, vertical line of dots, which represent time. Um, each dot is a reign of a pharaoh. And she's pointing to one particular dot. And so there's a way that the feminine can orient us to where we are in space and time. Like out of all these possibilities of where we could be in the cosmos and where we could be in the expression of time, like here we are right now. And so it's very contextual, right? We don't lose the idea that there's a bigger story here, but we also get really specific about where we are in that story right now, right? And so there's a, there's a discernment in the feminine of this cyclical wisdom of things coming in and out, arising and falling, rising and falling. And um, sort of our knowledge and our intelligence is our ability to interact with the facet that is emerging now, right? This, this capacity of intelligence, of, of knowing how to learn rather than content, specific content. Mm -hmm. not, again, not that content is bad, but when that's the only thing, we get really fixed in our ideas about things and our beliefs about things. And then um, there's this way that in the head center, we can see how the things that we've been talking about in the body and the heart rise up to be spoken as the truth. And um, we, didn't, we, we didn't talk about Mott in the heart center, but I just want to mention her for a second. Um, Mott is a goddess, and the root of her name, Ma'a, means truth. And so there's this scene in Egypt that a lot of people talk about as the Day of Judgment. Um, Denise, our friend, talks, thinks of it more about just the process of transformation, but uh, it takes place in the Hall of Two Truths. And there are, there's this scale, like you'd see, like with the sign of Libra, right? With two different um, buckets. And on one bucket is your heart. And in the other bucket is the feather of Mott, is the feather of truth. And, the, and it's like weighing, did you, were you true to your heart? Were you authentic with your heart? Like, where are you in, in being aligned with your heart in this hall of two truths? And Mott is here. And then, the way that comes through to the head center is there's a phrase in hieroglyphs called ma'akaru, which means true of voice. And um, we talked in the body center how the feminine is about this vibrational quality, right? 
And our, our voice also has a vibrational quality, right? We can create with our voice. And there are certain languages that are acknowledged to have this vibrational quality where you don't even have to know the meaning of what you're saying, but like the sounds themselves kind of carry some kind of transmission and Sanskrit is one of them. Hmm. Um, and in Sanskrit, there are 52 phonemes sounds and they're called matricas. And so you can hear in that the um, root word matrix that we were talking about last time. It means little mothers. And so it's like with your mouth, you have these little mothers in your mouth and you're creating like something comes up from the vibration of your body. It's aligned with the truth of your heart and you get to create with your voice. Um, and and um, yeah, it's just I, I don't know. I, I kind of love that. It kind of connects this generative quality of the feminine, like from the body and then up, up through the voice. Mm. Um, so. You know, when we're when we're in this panoramic vision, which is this quality in the head center of the feminine, then yeah, we're we're sort of like awake to the whole. We're we're aware of the whole, and then awake to the merging facet and and the truth of what wants to be expressed. And when we're not connected to that, when we feel reactive to that, um, there can be a real impatience with partial or emerging knowledge. There can be sort of like this push to nail things down before it's really time. Um, there can be a discounting of our intuitive knowing, o- overvaluing the content of our knowing over capacity and context. Um, and that leads to reductiveness and a narrowing of possibilities. Um, it can lead to adherence to the status quo and like really not being able to listen to all the voices or trying to rush or ignore the unfolding of wisdom over time. So um, usually when I'm teaching this in a workshop, this is the last section. And and what I have people do is really um, sit with all the facets that emerged for them during this workshop, right? During this time that we've been talking about the feminine and and really not trying to sort through them in a, a linear intellectual way, but just like feeling like what felt bright and shining to you? Like what felt super clear? What felt like kind of half oh i kind of get that maybe and what felt like is it just like a sliver of something maybe a spark of something and um i don't really know what that's about or i'm completely in the dark about something right and just kind of write all the facets and then just sit for a second and let yourself feel like what's most important for you right now like you know maybe maybe you do want to dig deep more deeply into the thing that that you're like yeah i get that i know that or maybe you're like i really don't get that but i'm so curious about it and so like just this process of not pre-selecting what's important for you but just um letting yourself be with the panorama of it and then getting quiet and seeing like what wants to be engaged with now no, that's really good. That's a, at least a good message for me in the sense of a lot of the rejection stuff is sort of like pre-deciding what something is going to be because I guess what you're saying with the feminine is like you have to give yourself over to the moment what might unfold and um, that can be sort of like a, I guess in all our different ways we can sort of preemptively lock down on experience mm-hmm. and pre-decide on what's or even try to make or shape what something is going to be. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was showing t- terribly to the awful camera my uh, tattoo, which is of Shashat, 
And um, what's, uh, you know, one of the things that's interesting about Shashat is, you know, there's this whole ceremony called the stretching of the cord where when they were going to build a new temple or a new pyramid or whatever, they'd have this whole ritual where they would literally stretch some cords and like put these monuments in alignment with other monuments as well as like certain stars, like the seven the pe- seven petals on that kind of flower that come out of her crown, Shishat's crown. Supposedly, one theory is that they represent the seven stars of the constellation of what we call the bear now, or like the, the, the Big Dipper or whatever. Um, for them, it represented the eternal, unmoving point in the sky where all the stars seemingly orbit around. And it's like how that eternal, timeless uh, place is translated into something that's relational and, and time-based. And so um, one of the things uh, t- that, I, that I thought was interesting, Julie, that you're speaking to, that I think um, whether that we've, that we kind of have brought to some of the ways Enneagram has thought about is, is, you know, looking at the different triads and the different um, just inherent patterns and ha- like kind of like looking at the Enneagram in a, in a larger context than just trying to be like, what's the basic fear? What's the basic desire? What's this? What's this? What's right. this? Right. Because, you know, that's, that's like what often leads people into these, these holes of, wrong identification without seeing something kind of in a context way. And I mean, even like typing approach with like the collages and these interviews and, you know, there's this sort of, uh, I kind of feel like the, um, not all, but a lot of that, like if we're, if we're distinguishing like a kind of like a masculine thinking style versus a feminine thinking style that kind of like pulling away at the specific thing, Mm -hmm. like really Mm -hmm. did not like, at least in terms of how the Enneagram was taught and understood, did like did not have enough of that feminine thinking quality. And so it really kind of went way too far into pigeonholing itself into a lot of wrong info. And then to like kind of make the Enneagram work and to, to correct for some of the issues that are out there, that kind of feminine contextual seeing how all the parts fit into something larger and something outside. It's like, and, and that's like, that's like the Enneagram itself. It has, just, it has those intervals, those shock points, where it, it does require that kind of evolving awareness to keep moving along the octave. Yeah, I, I think what you're saying is like a really good explanation of how we, when we just treat the Enneagram as a system of acquiring knowledge, and it's like I need to memorize the 47 things about each type, we actually pull up and out of ourselves like it's not actually connected to something mm-hmm. and um there's this I, I was reviewing some stuff in preparation for this of course and uh, there's this line in magical child where he says acquisition acquisition of content is an obsession with adults who have no matrix mm. and he talks about sort of like the collapsing of like a child's like intent to just like go out and explore the world but like you know, if if you don't feel held by something, you got to have something else to grasp onto. Mm, okay. And, um, you know, so our culture is kind of obsessed with acquiring content to replace the fact that we're not connected to something deeper and more real. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like um, 
I think somebody had left a review about our podcast being like a really right brain approach. And it reminds me of this sort of like feminine thinking where it's like, I think, as you mentioned, John, like people come to the Enneagram, it's like, well, what are the types? What are the basic fears? What are this, you know, all these sort of like paint by the numbers thing. And you have some sort of an idea, but you don't actually have a real sense for it. So like, for, for example, if somebody were to ask, you know, what is love? You're like, oh, let's go to the Miriam dictionary and look up what <laughs> right. love is. But you can, you can convey love through text, through music, through images. Like you can envelop somebody in the experience of what love is in a way that you can't even explain through words. And to show people, you know, that the Enneagram is so real that there are all these different facets that you can experience your instincts, your types, um, through art or through collages or through videos and through all these different expressions that it's a, you can become enveloped by the Enneagram. You can, the Enneagram name can then start to penetrate you. And it's not just a collection of, you know, content or definitions. It becomes like a living, breathing thing now. So yeah, I think that's pretty cool that we're predominantly a bunch of dudes who are employing some feminine style of exploring something like this i mean i think it's all it's it's required i I don't i mean yeah you need it you have to explore the enneagram in this way because it is such a internally vast system Mm -hmm. yeah and you know the locus of egypt is very much about this marriage of masculine and feminine within ourselves and so you know i think I think when we see people who do have deep content knowledge and then they also have this deep experiential knowledge, then you get the full picture of the feminine. And if you're missing either one of those, you're missing a part. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, um, I don't know where this is going, but, uh, you know, and this might be totally somewhere else, so like pull me back. But um, it's going to be totally somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're used to it, John. <laughs> so uh, you know, in 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 media lately, like Jeffrey Dahmer's come up a lot, right? Mm. And then like serial killers in general. And one of the you know one of the weird, fascinating things about serial killers is like the way they get fans, mm. and. I was thinking, um, like I was, you know, like I was, I'm very disturbed by this, right? Like just like of all the weird shit to get interested in, you know? And, and I, you know, if you've watched that show, like Jeffrey Dahmer is talking about what a loser he is who didn't do anything with his life. And yet he's got a show about him. He's got, um, fans he's got like i mean endless content about him which is like i mean i think like i watch the show but i think it's fucking sick that they made the show you know mm-hmm. um but uh but anyway what what has struck me was especially like the like something about like a an animus projection on jeffrey dahmer right and what i mean by that is that like for people that aren't familiar with these ideas or whatever it's like you know, Jung kind of describes uh, the masculine as pursuing uh, its own counterpart, its own soul uh, in, an, in what, what he called the anima, right? And conversely, the, uh, you know, tip, I don't know how to talk about this without talking about, like, 
gendered, whatever, but that the that a, that a woman is seeking her own uh, soul, her own power, her own center in an image called the animus. And it's like there's a path for both uh, males and females to integrate their opposite energy and to have this inner alchemical marriage. And yeah, like, like you know, and Ted Bundy, it was like another one. And like, I'm, you know, like I've, I've heard like uh, people being like, he's so hot and, you know, like saying stuff <laughs> like this and like, like being like Ted Bundy could, could abduct me or whatever. You know, it's like, and that's like a thing that's out there, you know? And, and so it was, there's a couple things that come to me around this. I mean, just that projection thing. But I think one of the things that it, it kind of speaks to is, you know, like if, an, and if there's an animus projection on somebody that's so fucked up, it's like, you know, it's kind of like the, I don't remember how Jung describes it, but there's like the, for, for the, for the, for the unintegrated masculine, the projected, and I think this goes for, for men and women and everybody in between, but like the un, unintegrated masculine gets projected outward as either like, uh, like a brute, right? Or like a, a savage person or a criminal or like a totally ima- uh, emasculated, like weak, empty something. And like, it's kind of like with uh, the, from the unintegrated anima point of view, it's like the Madonna whore, right? And um, how I think these happen just collectively, like we're just like, like not regardless of male or female, like these are getting projected in these like really pathetic ways, right? These just getting, getting projected out there and we're like relating to them and like, does this make sense where I'm going kind of? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to to me, it reads of this crisis of disembodiment, right? These um, these energies, you know, sexual energies, um, violent energies, they carry a huge charge, and you know, we all want to feel alive. And if we again, if we can't find a way to feel alive in a way that supports our life, we will find ways to do it that are um destructive of life right Mm. and um it actually keys into something that i wanted to talk about is that um one of the things that maya luna talks about is that the primordial goddesses were goddesses of eros and wrath Mm. and she calls them the red energies right and they're these like tremendously powerful embodied energies that you know, human beings really desire um, to be in contact with them. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about the archetype of two and that and the connection or disconnection from four and eight, because I think that's a way of talking about that. Hmm. Um, So like if we look up, look at the archetype of two, like the fixated two, is sort of like the embodiment of not the feminine, but femininity, like a patriarchal version. Like she's sweet, she's kind, she cares about other people, right? It's kind of like this really tiny box for the feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think of the two archetypes as what I call the bright feminine. It's like, you know, this like sunshiny, like love attunement, right? If we're talking about it in the more expansive sense, it's like this um, 
this absolute beauty of of being loved and paid attention to in a way that we all need is nourishing right and then um you know ideally that archetype is also connected to the four which i think of as the dark feminine right it's this this place of sensuality and intimacy and eros kind of like lives in that archetype and then the eight is the fierce feminine and um you know those uh, the archetypes that we were talking about last time like kali and sekhmet you know sekhmet has the head of a lioness and so if you think about the energy of a lioness like she is so fierce she hunts she protects her cubs um, you know, like that whole thing of the mama bear, like you don't want to get close to a cub when there's a mama bear around or you're going to get that kind of ferocity. And so the feminine has been disconnected from mm. the dark feminine and the fierce feminine, which are that Eris and wrath. Right. Mm. And, and, you know, like we see this in even in religion, right? Like if we come from Isis, which had, you know, this real fullness of, you know, she, she brings Osiris back with sexuality. Um, and, you know, she's kind of like a full embodying that full power. And then she becomes the Virgin Mary, you know, the immaculate mm. conception mm. Um, where uh, her relationship with the masculine, like the two icons of Mary are, you know, with the baby Jesus on her lap or the Pieta with the dead Jesus on her lap. Right. And, and she gets, it's funny, I tried to look for a word that means this in the feminine sense, and I can't find it. Like, she gets castrated from mm -hmm. the fullness of who mm -hmm. she is, right? Mm -hmm. She gets castrated from Eros. She gets castrated from ferocity and wrath. And, um, you know, she's for, she lives in this little box. And again, it's not to say anything about bad about the energy of Mary um, or that energy of love, but just that... Um, when we put things in a box, the other energies want to leak out, right? And I know you've talked about this a lot, John, especially with the sexual instinct, that like when we suppress it, it leaks out in ways that we don't intend or anticipate because we're still after those energies and we don't know how to get them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, like it's just, yeah, I think it's. I think we're seeing more and more that people do have quite a, a death obsession in our society and, and this move towards nihilism. Uh, one thing that's really strange about that for me, coming from Nigeria, um, is that as even as a young child, I was very much aware of death. Like death is, uh, I think most people who grew up in third world countries are very much aware of death because it's just, you're not as uh, separated from death as a reality like you kill an animal to get food you go to the store here to get meat and so mm -hmm. one of the strangest things i've ever seen was walking into a supermarket store and seeing slabs of meat packaged already ready to go because when you go to a butcher they fucking slice off the piece of meat that you want and they, they hand it to you so it's just a very different i mean here you can live your whole life and be sheltered from the reality that things have to die in order for you to live or that there's a death consequence for certain things that happen. I remember as a kid, uh, I watched an execution in the town square, standing or on my dad's shoulder. They caught some robbers and they um, chopped their heads off. And it was just like, you know. So I guess what I'm trying to say, 
I, what I was trying to say is that there is such an obsession with death here because I think most people live their lives without any conscious mm, encounter yeah. with death whatsoever. So mm-hmm. a, a serial killer is a really exotic thing here. Whereas in Nigeria, there are people that are getting chopped up by machete vigilante killers today. Mm. That's still happening. There are certain days that if you go out and you're caught by someone like, you know, the Muslims killing people who are Christian, they'll ask you if you're Christian or not. And if you, this guy with a machete is going to chop you up in broad daylight. So that doesn't seem so, because death is such a present reality in most, a lot of places in the world, a serial killer is just like a fucking Tuesday. There's a bunch of serial killers and, you know, no one's doing a fucking documentary in Nigeria about some guy who's chopping people up because that's just a thing that happens that's just your neighbor that's just (laughs) people disappear all the time no one's investigating people are still getting you know cannibalism still exists as a thing in certain parts of uh, that world and so you know Dahmer is kind of like such an extreme character because people don't have any consciousness or have no encounter with people who kill people it's not a thing here yeah yeah, I think there's a, such a dissociation between the cycle of in the cycle of material life, and again, people still have the these energies still live in us, and we have to find some way to process and integrate them. And the the more we've tried to insulate ourselves from life, um, you know, has all these unintended consequences, mm-hmm. where it actually makes us less. You know, some things are a lot easier, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's healthier for us or, yeah. um, you know, better for the f- kind of full integration of everything that we are. Yes. You can see it in other scenarios like the uh, r- rampant pedophilia in Christianity, you know, that energy mm. coming out and like the complete, <laughs> like, because it's so, um, imprisoned in box, yeah. and that it oozes out in such an inappropriate and harmful way it's kind of the same thing one thing too is and this complicates it and maybe this is part of the hook but like talking you know the subject of women that get obsessed with these serial killers and actually have a sexual attraction and there's sexual heat for them is that that's an aspect of female sexuality is that wanting to be taken peace. And so I think there's a, there's a hook there. You know what I mean? I don't know how to pull those things apart. Um, if there's a clean way to, um, dissect those from each other. Well, one of the things I'm hearing from what Julie's speaking about is this aspect of uh, surrender and allowing and this aspect of being in the midst of things dissolving and how, like, maybe in the same way that, you know, like Emika's speaking to with the this, like, lack of relationship to death, creating a, a weird death drive, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it may be a similar thing of where we don't have real areas where we can be kind of in a mysterious space or a mysterious mm. allowing or orientation mm-hmm. that there is a, a a way that where it's like like trying to uh through the like you know like 
a projection on a serial killer is an imagination thing. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a fantasy. And so it's like projecting something like that could be like a way that people try to imaginally orient towards some kind of real big surrender. Because I was thinking mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. I was thinking to the other day about um, like another uh, figure of the patriarchy or whatever is Donald Trump and how something like Trump or Dahmer to me represent uh, like they get a certain energy with them because they seem like they are somehow defying, um, not defying in the sense of rebelling against, but just outside of our kind of highly systematized meat packed in a grocery store. That's true. Uh, everything in cellophane kind of like, you know, removed trajectory where we're all just like trying to pay our bills and like have like a, just like have our relationships work like in this sense of, kind of just trying to keep things together and that everything in our in our current world is like overly systematized and there's not a lot of room for um genuine deviation mm-hmm. outside of mm-hmm. something like a really uh n- you know my credit score will get fucked up or uh my my police record or like surveillance camera or my <clears throat> online presence or whatever it's all like so documented and whatever that these people sometimes represent somebody who is not seemingly bound by those mm-hmm. um, boxes, boxes, Un- unfettered. Well, it's but the even, uncontrolled even think- id, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. the uncontrolled mm-hmm. instinctual mm-hmm. energies that we have been socialized to control so deeply. But again, as as meat, <laughs> we have those desires. We have that need to express, and very little room in our culture. And so then we end up admiring people who. Um, you know, are actually sociopaths because mm-hmm. they don't have any super ego around it yeah. um, because we can't figure out how to integrate those energies. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the, I just took this class about anger and one of the most interesting pieces about it for me was about um, being in touch with and circulating this energy so that our usual approach to anger is either we suppress it or we cathart it. And both of those are damaging and and don't keep us in touch with the actual intelligence of the anger, right? Like anger is an energy that we need to protect ourselves. And, you know, that ferocity has been taken away from women. Like it's not okay to be an angry woman. And then she's not protected. She's unprotected. Like she doesn't have her fangs. She's not a mama bear, you know? Um, And so learning to actually be in touch with these energies and to circulate them within us is is the antidote for for looking out and trying to and projecting my energy onto something that actually really is harmful and sucks. Mm. (laughs) Um, And one of the learnings from my Indian philosophy study is that like the feminine inherently has power, like we're talking about these you know um the incredible elemental power of nature the power to you know develop and birth a child um but her authority has been removed she has power but no authority she doesn't right and um you know part of the work uh especially for women but not always just women is is really reclaiming that power and and on a very physical level 
right? Um, and being able to stay in and circulate those energies, even if they feel threatening to other people, right? The erotic energy, the, the fierce energy is perceived as a threat to the, to the status quo and it gets shut down. Um, and then, yeah, let's like, and then why are we worshiping these crazy people? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think all of us, the feminine and all of us has, there is this, this energy of allowing and receiving, but it's not a passive receptivity. It's mm-hmm. an active mm-hmm. receptivity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something we must, we mistake about the feminine that makes us identify receptivity with either violence or weakness. Mm-hmm. It's like, like um, choosing what to receive. Um, like what, what, under, what influences do I put myself under or what do I say yes to mm-hmm. as the receptive one? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I was thinking about this that you know, I know you, I'm sure you guys have talked about the law of three and, you know, John Howe in the Gurdjieff work, it gets talked about that um, personality is usually the assertive force and essence is the denying force. And that in order to develop, that needs to be reversed, right? Essence needs to be the, the um, affirming the force. force. And so I think it's the same thing. Like we, we think of the masculine as the affirming force and the feminine as the denying force. And that, that denying force shows up as, yeah, weakness, passivity, like a lack of a complete lack of agency is what it gets identified with. But, um, you know, first of all, all three of those forces are needed. They're all, they're all important forces in the development of something new. And I think if the feminine becomes more of the affirming force that, yeah, there's like this engaged receptivity to life rather than like, I just want something to come in and fill me. It's Mm -hmm. like, I'm here and ready to participate in this dance. I'm, I'm interested, um, Julie, Nancy or Alexandra to hear, like, I can kind of, easily speak to and i think i think it's very much on display in culture like the masculine uh wounding of not having the feminine integrated but i was curious about your experiences of like being women uh like in in within our culture's relationship or or lack of relationship with the feminine does that make sense Mm -hmm. yeah well i could start and um, so I, I will say for myself that I learned at a very young age that um, it didn't feel like the feminine was wanted. And um, I very much took on the masculine, like I have a lot of masculine energy. And it's been quite a journey for me to, um, to trust the feminine energy arising through me. Um, you know, to deal with my internalized misogyny about the feminine. Um, and yeah, at the same time, like, uh, you know, in this, in this class I was taking around anger, you know, and especially because of the point that I occupy, I was dealing, I was, I've been working a lot with this nine 
energy of inertia. And that like, even though I know I am powerful and capable, there's a part of me that just kind of goes to sleep to that basic life force um, that kind of unconsciously feels, you know, like just growing up, you know, I could see in the family and religion and school and institutions, like I was constantly pushing against, like trying to prove myself on the terms of the masculine. Mm-hmm rather than kind of trusting also this integration of feminine. And so like a lot of my journey has been kind of opening more to that feminine. And then I think there's an opportunity to integrate the real masculine and not the distorted masculine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I relate a lot to that experience as well, Julie. Um, <clears throat> growing up in like the church, you know, there's one version of the feminine and that's it. Uh, and all I knew that it was at that point was that's not me. Therefore I cannot be feminine. Mm. Um, and so it was very much like a, it, I viewed it as had a lot of internalized misogyny, uh, that I had to just, um, you know, take off. Um, and then my understanding of the feminine became very like one dimensional and like a play to put on because it was so foreign to mm. me. Um, and now, like as I've kind of learned a little bit more about it and kind of allowed myself to play in both realms freely, um, I'm starting to get a bit more comfortable with like my femininity and being, you know, masculine and feminine at the same time. Um, and kind of playing in that realm, but I still don't. I mean, it's it's very it feels very clumsy to me. Mm. Feels very disconnected. I know how to be masculine, and that's it. And then you ought to be one feminine, and that's it. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, with me, um, the knowing how to be one feminine was my experience also. But even that, it was like a specific brand of feminine that had to erase the dark feminine and really resonated with that dark feminine and a fierce feminine. So the ways that I had to carry myself in feminine energy and be feminine was like not being active at all. Um, not exploring any kind of like under, you know, any fierce, um, yeah, any kind of fierce part of myself. So in a way it was this distorted feminine presence because I had to appear meek and soft and you know, very boxed in to one place, but not actually be that way. I don't, I'm not sure quite how to explain it, but not, it was like, it had to be an appearance, but I could, I didn't feel that way. Um, it felt very put on and very performative. Yeah. There's something else, even, I think we mentioned it. I think somebody mentioned it last week um, of even just sexual selection. And how females and women or, you know, whatever the the language for it is now, are the sexual selectors. And what is the word that, what is the phrasing that you used earlier? Active receptivity? Mm -hmm. Actively receptive, yeah. Actively receptive. That resonated a lot with me because I believe, I don't think my active participation was welcomed Mm. um, or even wanted. So a lot of it was passive receptivity because... I guess the connection that I'm making is that even in active 
any kind of active energy just did not seem wanted, even in active reception. So I spent a lot of my time like waiting to be chosen by masculine energy versus standing in a feminine strength and realizing that I'm the one that's supposed to be doing the choosing. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, and I think um, along those same lines, there's a level of disconnect that came with my experience, um, a disconnect from um, knowing what to choose and knowing uh, what is being put towards you. Uh, because Brian and I were actually talking about this today, how um, masculine presenting people often don't catch vibes, like they don't mm, catch yeah. on to things like feminine presenting people often um, mm. more easily do. Um, and I think that's the feminine energy, just being able to receive and then know what they're receiving Mm. and so being disconnected from it you just like it's like a a skill you knew once but like Mm. it's it's rusty very interesting yeah there's another part in sort of my experience also is like with masculine presenting people there was like a loud awareness that there was not feminine integration which meant that the masculine energy was just threatening and could not contain a real embodied mm. like feminine presence in myself. So instead I had to kind of stay on guard um, and sort of like, I don't know, you know, is that making sense? Like I had to sort of stay like on guard and protected while still feigning femininity. Yes. <laughs> but not actually getting what to indulge mess. in the mess of, yeah, that is being feminine because this masculine energy was not integrated in a feminine way. Mm-hmm. I don't want to interrupt if anybody's got more to riff on that, but I was curious um, about kind of two things, which is one, Julie Nancy specifically mentioned internalized misogyny, and I was just curious what that looked like or what that experience was or how that is. And then the second thing I'm interested in is like, what has helped y'all as uh, as women to heal those wounds around the feminine or those that those one note um, archetypes or um, what is it? Uh, I'm I'm blanking on a word, but it kind of like the the way it's spo- like the the, the internal, interpretations. Yeah, the, the interpretations that you were the, the the outlets, the social outlets that you were set that that society said was like the appropriate expressions of the feminine. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, my my entrance onto this path came with having children and um, trying to do what I thought was required to show that like women are just as good as men, like being in this very high pressure corporate job. And uh, you know, I was I thought I was going to be an example for women, right? And then I had these two small children who, um, you know, were just like children are immediate and they let you know what they need. They're kind of life force themselves. And I, um, you know, my body started telling me like, um, this is not good for you. Like, what are you doing? Um, and I, I, I don't know if anything else could have really like I'm I just my personality structure really works well with consensus reality. It's pretty strong and hard. and. I'm not sure, like, if anything else might have really brought me to my knees in the same way that having children did. 
And I remember like it was at about the time that Sheryl Sandberg was writing that book, Lean In, about women leaning into work. And I think what I learned from having children was like, well, who's leaning into taking care of our children? And why don't we value that? Um, because like, isn't the, isn't the whole way our society is organized because we don't value that? Like people don't mm-hmm. get the care and the love and the attunement that they need to actually grow into healthy human beings. And so I think uh, the beginning of my education there came with like being forced to be in contact with like two little beings who were pretty unrelenting and letting me know like what their needs are and and what was wanted and needed in life. Um, And um, it was hard. I I remember. So when I, I, I I actually um, negotiated three days a week in my job and um, got some pushback from the powers that be like, are you sure about that? But most people were shocked, but they were supportive. And I remember being really afraid to tell my parents. Mm. And I, what I, what I, the narrative I had in my mind is like, oh, it turns out that I'm just a girl. Mm. I'm just a girl and I have to take care of my children. Um, and so like, that's a really good example of internalized misogyny, I think. Mm. That like we we so devalue that like if you don't work outside the home like yeah you're some something lesser and I you know I'm not saying anything about the choices people should make about working or taking care of children but just that's a really clear example of how that showed up in me and I kind of had to get like bashed over the head until I really got that I fucking felt that when you said that that like. Is like an arrow to the chest when you said I'm just a girl. That was like, oh, that was such a similar experience to. I feel like I just keep saying that I had a similar experience, and that's like all I need to say. But, um, <laughs> but ditto. I, I, I did. I had a very similar experience. Um, yeah, no, I I wasn't a corporate-ish job and uh, it was mostly men and I was expected to you know be a certain way and act a certain way and um, I couldn't keep up because my body does not function uh, on a nine-to-five schedule it just cannot like I am not built for that Um, and it wasn't even a nine-to-five schedule it's more more high high powered than that or whatever so I got like really sick from working so much and I had to like quit my job and I had to like move back in with my parents and, um, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. not moving back and with the, my parents, but getting sick and quitting my job. <laughs> yeah. And the line that I am sure I've said it on this podcast before I've said it to a lot of people, but it just rings in my head forever and ever. And I don't think he remembers this at all, but my boss told me as I was quitting, he said, you know, if you wanted to be respected like a man, you need to act like one. Whoa. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, um, Damn. it was, <laughs> Yeah, that was the moment <laughs> that is like so clear in my head that just flipped a switch. Um, where it's like what I thought in my head all the time to myself was spoken back to me, and mm-hmm. I, and it, I, I realized how ridiculous it was. Mm-hmm. And um, it just kind of like I say that that's the moment that radicalized me. <laughs> like yeah. I started just 
going full in, I was like, well, then obviously I'm never going to be a man. So let's fucking lean into this. So I was like, I'm going to start doing sex work. I'm just going to start taking money from you fucking men. <laughs> she became a villain. <laughs> I, became, I went in full. Uh, villain story. Villain origin story. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start taking money from you. <laughs> What is that thing you said earlier? Those like unfortunate uh, final words or something like that? Um, There you go. Yeah. Comments or posts preceding unfortunate events. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that man's. Those are that man's unfortunate comments preceding unfortunate events. (laughs) (laughs) Then Nancy became a villain. (laughs) (laughs) See, I see where your cold heart comes from now. I understand. Nancy, you good? She oh. hasn't been since that dude said that. <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is Nancy, is your thing working? I think we lost her. She's not here. Now. Oh, she'll be back. Yeah. yeah. Alexandra, did you want to say something about that? Um, yeah. My internalized misogyny more came behaviorally for me in ways that I was sort of editing myself and um, honestly just like denying very loud parts of myself. Um, I used to not be identified with being sensitive. I don't know how. <laughs> More sensitive woman. Me in neither. The world. Me neither. <laughs> yeah. Some, and somebody to... once told me I had really big feelings, and I'm like, I don't think so. I know. I know. I was like, you're you're lying. I remember. Um, yeah. So I, my mom is a very expressive person. She's a very emotional person. She's very um, uninhibited in her emotional expression, and I saw it just as like a very messy thing. (laughs) Um, You know, that's neither here nor there, but a lot of ways that I sort of repressed myself because these were feminine aspects of myself that I thought were uh, not welcome or seen as a bad thing or something was, yeah, my sensitivity, um, my intuition and my emotions and like my emotional expression. And like, even now for some reason, there's like emotion coming up. (laughs) Mm. So yeah, it was a lot of, a lot of just, like putting that side of me away, a lot of trying to focus on like logic instead. So now I have like red flags. Anytime somebody says that they're like logic oriented, I'm like, what are you denying of yourself? Mm-hmm. Nobody's mm-hmm. fucking that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, those are the main ways that I see to myself that there's like a very messy quality that I have that I still have a self judgment about. Um, but in the expression of those kind of messy emotions, I do find a lot of insight and I find a lot of um, like honoring of self that I was very, very much negating and very much neglecting um, for myself for a long time. And um, yeah, as far as what has helped that, I'm not quite sure. I think just like a lot of time getting sick of it, <laughs> getting like, um, yeah, just kind of being over it. You know, of course, now I'm with John and John is like very welcoming of that side of me, which is really nice. Um, And it makes it feel very safe for me to just be like a disaster woman sometimes. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about practice and relative to what we're talking about. because I think there are ways that we can practice in masculine modes or feminine modes that can help with um, what we're talking about. And um, 
There's actually a blog post that I wrote when we were doing New York Enneagram, and it's on my website now called um, Balancing Your Practice for Strength, Resilience, Creativity, and Freedom. And um, what I talk about is like two general categories of practice, one that I call tight structure practice, which is like a masculine encoded practice, right? Um, and those are things like the Gurdjieff movements where there's like a very specific form, like do it this way. And the movements are very um, angular and precise. And, you know, in, in the post, I talk about like thinking about your Enneagram type and your stack in terms of like, is that the kind of practice that might be helpful for you? Right. Um, and, and then I talk about another set of practices that I call simple frame practices, which are more feminine encoded practices. Where there's like a, a just a small edge, like integrative breathwork, I think of as a simple frame practice. It's like a simple frame is like breathe in a circle without a pause between the inhale and the exhale. That's like, in a way, the whole thing. And then there's like a whole bunch, there's a gazillion possibilities that could come out of that. And so um, I think these different ways of practicing teach you to either be more expressive and to like really open up or to really kind of come in and channel your energy. And so like for myself coming from self prev six, like both of those are very structured. And so it's been really helpful for me leaning into my creativity, leaning into breath work, like to just open up into um, expression and being with, you know, whatever comes and, and feeling much more comfortable about that. Whereas, like, I can see, for example, somebody coming from sexual four, like, both of those are much more expansive, formless, doing a more tight structure practice might really help, like, channel and focus that energy. And so if, you know, if you're interested in more ideas about, like, those different kinds of practices and what are the pros and cons of doing things in different ways, you might find that blog post helpful and interesting. Cool. Nancy, right. were you um, were you going to say something before things got cut out or finished saying something? No, I don't think I was going to really say anything other than wrap that up and say I went full villain era and um, <laughs> that's how I started <laughs> growing. Uh, but yeah, no, I don't think so. But thank you for checking. Where are you on your villain arc story, Nancy? <laughs> I think I'm leaning. Uh, I think I'm. Uh, I've gone full. Uh, onto the dark side and now I'm finding where I'm comfortable somewhere not so much in the middle but closer to the softer side so you're no longer a murderer <laughs> yeah well you can't say that on air man <laughs> she's taking enough men's supposed money to know that. oh okay she's breaking hearts yeah I, I thought everyone yeah, I've knew scared about the enough people okay. yeah no 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 that's why I moved out of the country. <laughs> there are other motivations for moving to the Netherlands. I, I understand now. Yeah, don't dig up my backyard. I wouldn't recommend it. We were just trying to figure out why you would move to bad internet. But now I understand. <laughs> yeah, no, take that up with my landlord. <laughs> Not my choice. Move away from high-speed internet. She's trying to run away from the law. <laughs> yeah, they can't actually, catch me out. I'm here in Brumman. I bet most of Europe has better internet than the United States. So. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah and it's, it's pretty much everywhere, too. You the can infrastructure get it. here is crumbling. Yeah, um, very quickly. Yeah, anything, any last uh, thoughts before we, uh, we wrap this up? No, I'm good. That's what I wanted to say. 
Well, thanks for thanks for coming on, Julie. And uh, yeah, thank you. Illuminating, yeah, it's great. The archetypal feminine and uh, being somebody else who speaks Egypt uh, <laughs> stuff. <Aww. laughs> That's been actually very cool. To like, <laughs> warms your heart. Warms my heart, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's great to ha- for for people to hear somebody who's um, not like this deranged idiot that they might listen to frequently <laughs> talk about well actually <laughs> with the Osiris resurrection. Actually if you look at this pharaoh and he's actually, pointing at the dots, can't actually, you see ten thousand five hundred BC. <laughs> Obscure facts about Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> Just thrown into the middle for no apparent reason. Actually the Egyptians conceived of time as a circle and uh, you know <laughs> Julie, did you get a chance to listen to that the episode we did with Curtis? I did, yeah. Would you have any interest in doing an episode with just you and Curtis, and we just sit there and listen to see what happens? Sure, I would love to do that. <laughs> that would be cool. Awesome. That'd be awesome. That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah that would be. Awesome. Yeah, because yeah, because um, I've I've wanted to return to that uh, you know, Curtis's like escape from motherland mm-hmm. masculine, and so like, mm-hmm. what would be like the feminine version, and how oh, do those yeah. things relate, and. You know what? Yeah, that would be so interesting. And, yeah. and now there is a book called "Leaving My Father's House." Mm, mm. Leaving my. And I say that it would have to be you and Curtis because there's not enough room for any of us, any of us, to get any words in if if Curtis comes back. I did notice Curtis. that when I listened to that episode. I was like, "Wow, where is everybody else?" <laughs> Fifteen oh, minute really? monologue. We also need to give him a speed injection or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh man, editing that one. Says so, David. You know, yeah, David is saying that. Oh God. Editing that one was like holy fuck. <laughs> and also just like how social blind he was because it almost feel like you're yeah. getting dragged into a corner I was like can we come up for air please yeah. <laughs> I've never heard you guys semi be so John-esque quiet. <laughs> yeah. yeah I completely went to another plane while he was talking I was like I can't stay here with him <laughs> yeah I thought it was great but yeah he's, he's a, he, yeah. Can, he can riff yeah <laughs> but it'd be fun to see you and him go back and forth I think it'd be really cool yeah, yeah absolutely I think that'd be great too and you know yeah. we, we've only been doing recording with the video for like three pods so far. <laughs> we've always done it like like without the video on. Way more and, fun. Yeah, and and it's way more <laughs> fun. And also, I think that uh, Curtis would be more receptive. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. On camera, you know what I'm saying? Or you could raise your hand. Hey, yeah, say something yeah. here, buddy. It's, yeah, it's I mean, easier yeah. to interrupt when you can. See yeah, or the you other could people. just see that there are other people that you <laughs> yeah. interact Those are blind. You got it. Like, oh, he's not yeah. just alone <laughs> in his brain. In. I thought yeah. that this was a thing that you guys started while I was gone, just to spite me. <laughs> I, came back and I was like, Aww. why are we all using our videos? <laughs> Well, we it's did funny, it. John, because like when you said that, originally you told me we weren't going to be usually using videos, and I really had like a social instinct contraction, like, oh my god, I'm not going to be able to connect with mm. folks. Like, I'm just like, I, like I said to John, like, can we talk? Because like we haven't talked in a while, and I'm just going to be talking to a black screen, and I'm just going to yeah. be like, <laughs> yeah. 
yeah we yeah. did it with uh courtney and it was it like when i listened to it it felt like oh this is like it feels like it has more life and you can hear you can yeah. hear that we're like in almost like in the same room together and there's I was a like, conversation oh, wow it's yeah. much easier to uh see what's gonna happen yeah, yeah it's like yeah. a conversation and how do people do this <laughs> also it was just so fitting that it was a social six that was like let's do videos i'm gonna see yeah. your guys faces yeah. right. and you guys it's are like just... uh okay i guess we'll do that and now you all like it <laughs> <laughs> the live pods have a different energy because it's easier to talk when you can see people for some yeah. reason yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So for like... some reason he's completely befuddled <laughs> by that fact actually not at all we aren't visual creatures people. at all <laughs> yeah Right, we're just discovering basic human basic. communication skills here, and basic human things about ourselves. <laughs> I mean, for real, real. I mean, the last like year, two years, even talking about like two lines of instinct, like real relationships. Yeah, you know, like like we're just figuring out what a relationship is. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you guys are cute, and all its and all its facets. You know, like 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 romantic. Uh, just regular friendships and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it is interesting because somebody, I think, Emika, you said earlier in recording this, like how fucked up everybody is. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we all are just like fucking in children that don't know what we're doing. And I mean, it's just crazy how much we keep unpacking the layers and layers of just all these um, images we're given of how to be. Yeah, uh, People are just kind of pantomiming. And there's very little inner stuff. And so, like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the content that we've um, discussed and explored has been really uh, valuable from that point of view. You know, that's like, I do feel like we're, we're getting at something realer. And so I love that, like, even though we're just like, we're an interim podcast, we're talking all about, like, like real, like, we're, I feel like we're, we're living into what we talked about at the very, very beginning of making this podcast, which is mm-hmm. like, Engram is just a small part where we're talking about kind of everything with just these uh, these lenses. Well, it's also getting into what Julie was talking about earlier is that we're we're actually having an experience mm-hmm. with this whole progression, you know, with this podcast, and you're seeing us <clears throat> learn new things, and we're not just like we're teaching you the enneagram and here's yeah. the facts. You Here's know. the type six. Yeah. Right. Even just the fact that we're doing a podcast, I don't think people realize just appearing on video on a weekly basis, how much of how uncomfortable that was initially. <laughs> like yeah. to get to the point where I, well, I'm comfortable being recorded, one, uh, and I'm comfortable being recorded on video, that shit was hard. <laughs> you know, and it's also kind of like mirroring to me like my own discomfort with being perceived. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, just like what the fuck is that? Because it seems so irrational. Because yeah. I mean, you see social types who get on video and they're just like come alive, and I'm just like, dude, why do I not want to be seen? <laughs> what is going on? Or just yeah. you know, share my thoughts with you know people out there. But yeah, this has been last couple of years just been discovering the social instinct in a in, through doing this. You mm-hmm. know, my mm-hmm. own relationship mm-hmm. to a social instinct and being like a public figure of some kind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's it's taught us all a lot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right well social instinct is uh, a little depleted on this end 